Welcome to Cornerstone. I'm Pastor Brian Foreman, and this is our Easter edition of Paradigm, our series where we're talking about reading and understanding the Bible. And the key to reading and understanding the Bible is Jesus. As he himself said in John 5, 39, he says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. And so far in this series, we have uh, talked about this and how, as the Bible Project puts it, that the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. And in fact, this whole series was inspired by, suggested by a podcast series that the Bible Project did all about their paradigm for reading and understanding the Bible. And I would encourage you to listen along in addition to uh, watching and listening at Cornerstone to also uh, go to the podcast and follow along in that as well. So go to the Bible Project Paradigm podcast. You can Google it. You can search in your podcast app, or you can go to their website, bibleproject.com slash podcast slash series slash paradigm, and you'll find it there. Uh, so far in our series, what we've said is in part one, that the point of the Bible is to point us to Jesus. You're not going to go wrong reading the scriptures if you're always looking for the connections to Jesus and how it all tells the story of Jesus. And then last week in part two, we talked about how it's in the book, well, the stuff that's in the Bible is in the Bible because we trust it. And sometimes we get that a little bit twisted, a little bit reversed. And and we say that, well, because it's in the Bible, we're supposed to trust it. Well, no, actually, the way things developed was that the people recorded it. It was trustworthy. It was recognized as such. And therefore, it was included in the Bible. And this weekend, as we're talking, celebrating Easter and talking about the resurrection of Jesus, what we want to talk about in this paradigm part three is the foundation of our faith. And the question that we're asking is, what is the foundation of our faith? And yes, the Bible is important and it's important that we read the scriptures, but um, really because what's in the Bible is there because we trust it and because people experienced it. It's not so much that the Bible is the foundation of our faith, but it's the stuff that made up the Bible. I've been uh, showing you this notebook, which is uh, a notebook that's full of the letters that uh, Sue Ellen wrote to me as we moved from acquaintances to a husband and wife. And what's important to this is this is not the foundation of my relationship with uh, Sue Ellen. It is a record of how it got started. And so uh, the point of my having this is not the letters itself, but it's the relationship that they point to. It is special to me because of that relationship. And you could make a similar point about the Bible as well. The Bible is a record of God's relationship with his people throughout history. And so, yes, it's important. And yes, we trust it because these experiences actually happen. But uh, the foundation of our faith is our relationship with Jesus, just like the foundation of my marriage is my relationship with Sue Ellen, not 
this notebook of letters. Uh, so the Bible is absolutely important and that's why we're dedicating a whole series to it. And we are a biblically based church, which means that we uh, seek to uh, root everything that we believe and the way that we practice our faith in the scriptures. But the, the reason that we do that is because the scriptures point us towards Jesus and towards the foundation of our faith. And it's especially appropriate to talk about this this weekend as we celebrate the resurrection because there wouldn't be a Bible except for the resurrection. So today we are going to be talking about the resurrection and what you will see, I hope, as we go through and talk about this and see uh, some of the uh, experiences that were recorded in the scriptures is that uh, basically, no resurrection, no Bible. No resurrection, no Bible. We wouldn't care about Jesus' life near as much if it weren't for the resurrection. Most of the people in the world would not be fam so intimately familiar with ancient Hebrew scriptures if it weren't for Jesus' resurrection and how seriously he took the Hebrew scriptures. We talked about this already a little bit last week when I showed you this illustration from a series at North Point Community Church. And if you uh, listen to North Point or read some of Andy Stanley's books, you'll definitely hear echoes of some of the things that, that, that I've gotten from there in this message and others, because sometimes they're just stating it the best possible way that I could have come across. So I'm going to beg, borrow, and steal what they use. But this I thought, thought was good as well. They're pointing out that the Bible that we have, this assembled book of, of scriptures, of writings, of documents, is actually rooted back in the resurrection. It's because Jesus was di died, was buried, and raised to life again. That event gave birth to a movement. That movement was documented and the, those documents were assembled in our scriptures. So this is just illustrating, literally, the idea that what we have in the Bible is actually rooted in the resurrection, the historical fact and experience of the resurrection. So practically speaking, what I'm going to encourage you to do is because that's the case, to focus on the resurrection, not your reservations. Focus on the resurrection, not your reservations. The Bible is a large book. It is written in a, from many different authors in a different cultures over uh, hundreds of years and thousands of years ago. And so you're undoubtedly going to, as you read and become familiar with the scriptures, encounter things that don't make sense to you, things that are going to raise questions, things that you might not be able to figure out on a first reading or sometimes even after years of reading. But don't let that derail your faith because you don't have to understand every single thing that you encounter in the scriptures because the reason that the scriptures are there, the reason we care about the scriptures, the reason that these documents were compiled is based on an event that they point to, the resurrection. So 
practically speaking, don't let your reservations, your questions, your doubts throw you off track and derail your faith because the resurrection is a solid foundation to your faith. And it is the reason that we have a Bible. Let's look at a passage that uh, happened after the resurrection. This is in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 34. It's, uh, it's two disciples on the road to Emmaus and they encounter the risen Jesus. So this is post death, burial and resurrection and prior to the ascension. Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 13, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. This is what it says. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. This was the weekend after the, the, uh, the crucifixion. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began suddenly came and began walking with them but god kept them from recognizing him he asked them what are you discussing so intently as you walk along they stopped short sadness written across their faces then one of them cleopas replied you must be the only person in jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days what things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. Remember how he said Jesus prayed, he healed, he taught. See that pattern over and over again. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. Verse 21, we had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then they go on to, uh, uh, to give the account. Then some women from our group of his followers were at the, his tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see and sure enough, the body was gone just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and at the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them, and as they sat down to eat, he took bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. Verse 32, they said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? 
And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you made a way for, inspired people to write down and record their experiences and that we have 2,000 plus years later uh, the record of the eyewitnesses. And I thank you, Lord, that we can examine that record, that we can hear the eyewitness testimonies through your scriptures and pray, Lord, that we will hear them with fresh ears and see the events that happened with fresh eyes today, that you will build, strengthen, and grant faith to us as we do, and that we will constantly be turning our faith, our hope, our attention to you, Jesus, who is the foundation of our faith. I pray, Lord, all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, uh, in this series, uh, we are paralleling what's going on on site when we meet in person, along with online, what's available on Sunday mornings uh, in our online platform, and also what's available after the weekend on demand on our website. So, check out cornerstonenh.org for all of those ways that you can experience Cornerstone. And uh, regardless of how you experience Cornerstone, our hope is that we will be able to inspire and equip you to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And why do we want to do that? Because we know that following Jesus makes life better, makes you better at life, and it brings glory to God in the process. So we are so glad that you are celebrating Easter with us. And if we don't know who you are, if you've never introduced yourself, if you don't get our emails, if you've never showed up on, on site in person, we would love to be able to welcome you personally and also stay in touch with you ongoing. So uh, if you're new here, start here. Text the word. One way you can do that, text the word NEW, N-E-W, to our church telephone number. Uh, you can text 603-225-2550. As stated, we are in this paradigm series. Our whole goal is that through this, you'll be able to read and understand. You will read and understand the Bible. And this passage, along with all, all kinds of testimony in the scripture, is that we wouldn't have scriptures if it weren't for the resurrection or no resurrection no Bible. Now, one of the things that I want you to notice about this passage, the experience of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, is that they absolutely, they, along with everybody else, all of Jesus' followers, and certainly everyone who is opposed to Jesus, they absolutely were not looking for Jesus to come back from the dead on that first resurrection morning. Or the way that they've stated it uh, at North Point and other places is that nobody expected no body. They just weren't looking for Jesus to come back from the dead. Now, they had hoped that he was the Messiah. They had hoped that he was going to fulfill all of these scriptures, but they didn't understand how it was going to happen. And despite Jesus 
explaining it to them. Despite the hints and the direction that was given to them in the Hebrew scriptures, they just weren't expecting it. Just like you wouldn't be expecting it either. Their experience, our experience is once a person dies, then they're gone. And we don't expect to see them again on this side of the grave. Nobody expected nobody, even in the case of Jesus. Look at what the uh, two disciples on the road to Emmaus said. We had hoped. Now just pause there for a second. Despite all the miracles that Jesus did, despite all of his amazing teaching, despite all the things that they had seen and experienced, despite the fact that Jesus was preparing them for this very experience, his death, burial, and resurrection, when they talk about their hopes for Jesus and what he might do and their, uh, their uh, hopes for what would happen, They're talking about the past tense. We had hoped. We had hoped that he was the Messiah. We had hoped that he was going to rescue Israel. We've had put our hope in him. But there was no such thing to their mind as a Messiah, as a redeemer, as a rescuer, as a son of David, a new and coming king that would die on the cross. That was the ultimate failure because he was supposed to rescue them from the Roman oppressors, not be crucified by the Roman oppressors. So they, even at this moment, even despite the, the, the stories that they had begun to hear, they were talking about their hope in the past tense. And I think that's important for us to understand because sometimes people say, oh, well, they were looking for Jesus to rise from the dead. They, they had to pretend that Jesus would rise from the dead. And even in the scriptures, there's the record of the Pharisees and the leading uh, rulers uh, bribing the soldiers that were supposed to be watching over the tomb to say, oh, his disciples must have come and stolen the body. They, they, that's just not what they were expecting, looking for, planning for. It just wasn't even in their mind. So even when they begin, the disciples begin to be confronted with evidence that Jesus had risen from the dead, they're not believing it. And here the disciples had heard some stories and now they are encountering the risen Jesus, but they're still talking about their hope. in the past tense. This is an example of what we now know as confirmation bias. And the definition of confirmation bias is this, the tendency to interpret new evidence as confirmation of one's existing beliefs or theories. It's very hard to get somebody to change their convictions, to change their core values and beliefs, because once we buy into it, once we own those convictions, then we become attached to them. And even when we're presented with uh, contrary evidence, we tend to interpret it in such a way that reinforces what we already believe. So we see here in this 
episode of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they didn't believe that Jesus was coming back. They weren't expecting him to rise from the dead. And so even when evidence is presented that that is the case, they're very, very slow to accept it. Uh, It just is not what they were expecting. And once they are presented with that evidence, then it becomes a conviction that cannot be shaken because they had to overcome this confirmation bias. They had so much evidence presented to them that Jesus did, in fact, come back from the dead, that there was no way they were going to deny it any time ever more. And that's one of the reasons that we can have confidence is because it wasn't what they were expecting. In fact, it was contrary to what they were expecting. And every one of the disciples held to that conviction, to that uh, uh, testimony, even to the point of death. And that gives us confidence in what they recorded. Uh, there's a story, uh, actually a quote from Charles Colson. Now, if you're not familiar with him, he was a part of the Nixon White House during Watergate. Watergate, the Watergate break-in, the cover-up, and everything that led up to the uh, resignation of President Nixon. And on one of the anniversaries of Watergate, he was asked about it, and his experience was that he Uh, participated in the cover-up, went to jail for his participation in Watergate. There he came to faith in Christ. And once he was released from prison, he spent the rest of his life going back to prison to tell people in prison the story of Jesus. And this is what he said on the anniversary of Watergate. I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for over 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. They were in a position to know whether or not Jesus had actually risen from the dead. And to their dying breath, they held to that conviction that he had indeed come back to life. Charles Colson goes on to say, Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? absolutely impossible. It was the evidence that they were presented with that convinced them that Jesus had in fact risen from the dead and they held on to that conviction and gave that testimony to their dying breath. But that wasn't what they were expecting at all. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus weren't unique in that. In fact, Even when Jesus was trying to prepare his disciples for the resurrection, they were totally clueless because it was just not what they were expected. It was, they had no category for that. Jesus 
goes up on a mountain. He's transformed before them and shows up in all of his divine glory. And as they're coming back from that, he tells them, don't tell anybody about this experience until after I rise from the dead. In Mark chapter nine, it talks about how they uh, interpreted that. He says, I'm going to rise from the dead. And when I do, then you can talk about this, but don't talk about it before. Mark 9, 10. They puzzled over that, wondering what on earth rising from the dead meant. (laughs) I mean, he basically says, look, I'm going to die and then I'm going to come back to life. And they're like, I wonder what he means by that. I have no idea. Uh, That that doesn't make sense. What What does he mean, come back to life? What does he mean, rising from the dead? It was contrary to their experience. And uh, even uh, after Jesus started appearing to the disciples afterwards, this is earlier in Luke chapter 24. So they rushed back from the tomb. These are the women who according to their expectation, they were going to prepare the body. They didn't have time to do that before, but now they're going to prepare it for its formal burial. They're expecting a body because nobody expected no body. They go expecting a body, a dead body that they're going to prepare for a long-term burial. But they encounter an empty tomb and they encounter the risen Jesus. So they rush back to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. We have eyewitness testimony now that Jesus is alive after dying. But the confirmation bias was so strong in the disciples. What was their response to this great news? But the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. The person was coming back saying, I have seen Jesus alive. And they're like, that doesn't make sense. I don't believe you. Uh, And uh, you see the same thing in the disciples. After Jesus shows up in the midst of the disciples, uh, they go and tell Thomas, one of the disciples who didn't happen to be with them, we have seen the Lord. Now here are some of his Thomas's closest friends, people he has lived with and among for years. And they're coming back to him and saying, we have seen Jesus. He's alive again. And what's his response? I won't believe it. I don't believe it. I won't believe it unless I see the nails, nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand in the wound in his side. He saw Jesus die and it didn't matter who was telling him that Jesus was back to life. He wasn't going to believe it until he saw it for himself. And that's of course, you know, what happened. Uh, years later, the apostle Paul is writing about the resurrection to the church that he helped us to establish in Corinth in Greece. And this is far removed in time and place from the experience of the resurrection. And he's recounting this because he understands that the resurrection is the foundation of their faith. This is what the apostle Paul says as he describes these experiences many years later. He, Jesus, was seen, the risen Jesus, was seen by Peter 
and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Now, what, what is he saying here? He's saying, look, you can check this out. These are, these are people that are still alive. You could go to where they live. You could talk to people who actually encountered the risen Jesus. The reason that we have confidence is there was eyewitness testimony. There was an event, the resurrection of Jesus, that gave birth to a movement that was recorded and documented in eyewitness testimony and the experiences of his followers. And then that was collated and collected into the scriptures. So one of the reasons that you can have confidence in the scriptures and what was recorded here is that their experiences were nothing like they were expecting. This wasn't just confirmation bias. This had to break their confirmation bias in order to be accepted. And then we have this recording, this record of everything that happened. And we, as a result, take the Bible seriously. And the New Testament is the eyewitness testimony of people who experience Jesus, his teaching, his power and healing, his death, burial, and resurrection. But in addition to that, we take the entirety of the scriptures, including the Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament, seriously because of the resurrection, because Jesus was resurrected from the dead and Jesus took this Bible seriously. We take the Bible seriously. In other words, we take the Bible seriously because Jesus took the Bible seriously. You got somebody who takes certain writings and scriptures seriously, and then he says, and oh, by the way, I'm the one that uh, pulls all this together. I'm the one that all of this points to, and I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to come back to life. And then he does it then I'm probably going to take that person seriously. I'm going, to, I'm going to seriously consider what he says about the scriptures. And he references, quotes, alludes to uh, just about every single book in our Old Testament in the Hebrew scriptures. So the reason that so many people around the world, followers of Jesus, follow Jesus is because of the resurrection. And the reason that Christians, the followers of Jesus, read the, the Hebrew scriptures and include them in their Bible. And the reason that we take them seriously is because Jesus took them seriously. We see this illustrated in this, the, this scene from the road to Emmaus because here's what it says. Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets. That's just a shorthand for what they, uh, for the Hebrew scriptures. They, they don't say Old Testament, that, that, that wouldn't make sense to them. But the writings of Moses and the prophets, they're talking about the Hebrew scriptures. And Jesus takes them through all of these, explaining from all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. See, Jesus is that thread that ties all of the scriptures together. The Old Testament points towards faith in Jesus. The New Testament rec uh, records the experience of the contemporaries of Jesus. And we look back in time 
in faith to those experiences. And so he's, he's tying it all together and showing how it relates to himself, which is something that he had taught already before. And we've looked at this verse many times, John five thirty nine. you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. The point of the scriptures is to point people to Jesus. And for example, I think perhaps maybe one of the passages that Jesus might have talked to those disciples on the road to Emmaus about is in Isaiah 53. Uh, Take some time, look up Isaiah chapter 53 and see all the parallels. It talks about the, uh, the crucifixion and details of the crucifixion. It talks about how Jesus was silent before his accusers, as we see when he stood before the Roman uh, officials like Pontius Pilate, when he stood before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. Uh, and there are all of these details and illusions. And when you pull it all together, you see the clear picture coming together in Jesus. Here's just one example from Isaiah 53. It says, but he was pierced for our rebellion. Remember the uh, apostle Thomas saying, I'm not going to believe it until I can place my hand in the place where the spear pierced his side. Hundreds of years before that, Isaiah is writing, he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. It's telling the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that someone is going to die for our sins. A What Uh, we call a substitutionary atonement, that someone else is going to take our place so that we can be made right, be made whole, be restored to God. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. Lately, we've talked about how shalom, peace, is this idea of wholeness. What happened to Jesus makes it possible for us to have peace with God, to be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And this is just one example of how the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures written hundreds of years before, pulled all of this theme together in Jesus and found in Jesus the fulfillment of everything that it was pointing towards. And so lastly, I would say, because without the resurrection, there would be no Bible. Yes, read the Bible. But in the midst of that reading, focus on the resurrection. Make sure that you understand that our faith is not in some book, but in the event that sparked a movement that was documented and collated in that book. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where we were already reading about the eyewitness testimony, makes this very point when he says, and if Christ has not been raised, if the resurrection is a sham, if this never happened, then what would be the consequence of that? Well, then all of our preaching is useless Everything that we've been telling you, everything, that, all the story, all the, the whole gospel would be worthless or useless. Your faith is useless. If you put your faith in someone who 
did not do what he said he would do, if you put your faith in an, in an experience that never happened, then that's going to be useless. And what does that mean about all the apostles who have been testifying to that? All the, and we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the dead. The resurrection is the linchpin of our faith. But he goes on to say, yeah, I mean, without that, it all falls apart. It's all useless. People that have been telling you this have been lying. But the reality is that Christ has been raised from the dead, contrary to their uh, expectation. The evidence was overwhelming. It convinced them, and they spent the rest of their days trying to tell the story and convince others. And he goes on to say, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. So in contrast to that, because that's not what Paul believed and that's not what uh, his experience would teach, he also personally encountered the risen Christ. Then that means that what has actually happened is that Christ has been raised. Our faith is not useless and you are not still guilty of your sins. When you say yes to Jesus, you are declaring your allegiance to Jesus. You're putting your faith in the one who came back from the dead, proving his power over sin, the grave, and death. And so on Easter weekend of all times, it would be a great time to say yes to Jesus, to commit your life to Jesus so that what he did on the cross counts for you. It's not automatic. You have to declare your allegiance. You have to commit your life to Jesus. And when you do, then that substitutionary atonement kicks in and is personalized for you. Your guilt is forgiven. Your faith is alive because Christ has been raised from the dead. Let us know if you are committing your life to Jesus. Text yes to our church number 603-225-2550. We'll be able to celebrate with you because this is the best decision you will ever make. And we want to be able to resource you as you continue your new walk with Christ. Today, we've been talking quite appropriately about the resurrection. We've seen how without the resurrection, there would be no Bible because nobody expected no body. And the only reason that we take the scriptures seriously is because Jesus took them seriously and he rose from the dead. And so on a practical level, I'll encourage you to focus on the resurrection, not your reservations. There are all kinds of things that you might not be able to figure out that you might have questions about. But the one thing that you can have absolute confidence in is that Jesus rose from the dead. The fact that we're talking about Jesus 2,000 years after the fact, the fact that there is a Christian church in the world, the fact that there is a Bible is all rooted in, based in the fact of the resurrection. And if the resurrection didn't happen, none of that stuff would be here and we wouldn't be looking at it, experiencing it, in the same way. So let Jesus 
his identity, who he was, who he is, what he did for us, and what it means for us. Let that be the anchor of your faith. Let Jesus be that cornerstone of your faith and all the other stuff. There's good reasons to believe all, all that stuff. And, and you'll figure that out in time. But don't let your doubts and questions and the things that you can't figure out right now keep you from committing your life to Jesus and experiencing all the benefit of that, the forgiveness, the grace, the power that comes, and the hope that will be yours because you belong to Jesus. Focus on the resurrection, not your reservations. And then you'll be able to experience the fullness of what Jesus has promised. You will be able to know that because Jesus has raised from the dead, because he did die on the cross for your sins, that you are forgiven, that you are guilt-free. And because God raised Jesus from the dead, you can have confidence that your life will not end in the grave, but he will include you in the resurrection to eternal life because he's already shared eternal life with you in the person of Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you did what you said you would do, that you sent your son, Jesus, fully God, fully man, that you verified that through his miracles, his work, his teaching, and then ultimately by giving your ultimate stamp of approval by raising him from the dead. That because of Christ and because of his resurrection, we can have confidence that our sins are forgiven, that we have the opportunity to be concluded in your family, that we have the hope certain of eternal life because Jesus lives forever. Lord, I pray that you would grant faith and that you would help us to focus on you, to put our faith completely, wholly in you, and that we would experience the new life that is ours because Christ was raised from the dead. We thank you for this. We celebrate it. We praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.